Marketing. I'm Dave Starreld. And I'm Alexander Wales. And this is episode 16, Serial Fiction. So, what's serial fiction? It depends on how expansive we want to be. Mm-hmm. So, if basically any time that you write a piece of fiction and you release it out into the world and then you write a follow-up to it later. That is my very permissive definition of serial fiction. So that would include, like, you release book one and you don't call it book one because that's just, like, the only book. Uh-huh. And then, like, two years later, you release another book in series. I, I would consider that serial fiction. We are mostly going to be talking about the more dist- restrictive version where it's, like, a chapter a week or a chapter a month or something that's more sliced up than just, like, the Harry Potter series, which is still serial fiction in the more permissive view. And I think a lot of the same lessons still apply, but... Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a sense for serial fiction where it's a lot less bound by what would be considered conventional, like, novel form. So whether it's the releasing one chapter at a time on the internet today or in the old days, just as short stories and magazines. It's a lot less structured. You didn't necessarily know, for example, when the book was going to end in serial fiction. It just kind of went until it finished. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I always think about when I think of the difference between serial fiction. Some people, like, you know, they'll start a story and they'll know exactly how many books they're going to be writing for it. Obviously, Harry Potter, you know, the seven years at uh, Hogwarts and the Dresden Files, Jim Butcher said that, you know, he imagined 23. He had a number of books in mind when he started it. But other people, they'll start writing a story and then they'll write a sequel and then they'll write a sequel and then maybe a few years will pass and they'll write something else and they'll go back to it and write a sequel. And so that's, it's again, it's more of the ongoing, not quite as restricted story structure. Yeah, and there are some people who pretend that they're the first type, where mm-hmm. they have, where they like know everything. Um, George R. R. Martin originally <laughs> said A Song of Ice and Fire was going to be a trilogy, mm-hmm. and he's on book. He has released book five. Book six is coming eventually. There's no real firm promise that that it's just going to be the planned. I think seven books right now. Although I would be very surprised at the current pace that the books are coming out if he is able to go past seven. Right. There's already right. questions about whether he'll reach seven. So. Yeah. Or Brandon Sanderson, I, th- I think, is going to stick very firmly to ten books for the Stormlight Archive. Mm-hmm. But he worked on uh, Wheel of Time, which had a, a, this sort of expanding schedule for, for it when uh, Robert Jordan wrote it. So yeah, serial fiction is... I personally feel undergoing a, a bit of a revival right now, but it was enormously popular back in the like 1800s, early, probably about until 1950. So like War of the Worlds, uh, Tarzan, Buck Rogers, everything Alexander Dumas wrote through Musketeers, among them, um, that's all serial fiction, uh, Counting Monte Cristo, most of the things Charles Dickens wrote, so like Oliver Twist and Great Expectations, Uncle Tom's Cabin, serial fiction. Like most of the major literary novels from 18, I think it's like around 1820 to the 1920s about, they were, they were published serially in monthly or weekly magazines Mm -hmm. that have sort of, the reason that stopped being a thing is that the circulation basically went down. Right. Newsstands became much less of a, much less of a thing starting around like 1950. Yeah. And so there was this sort of transition to like paperbacks that get sold in like supermarkets for whatever. And then obviously like the rise of uh, like Barnes and Noble and the big box, big box booksellers helped 
helped with that a lot. Yeah, the idea of the singular complete novel on at point of sale became much more mainstream. Yeah, you still see a lot of heavy serialization in comic books. Mm-hmm. So you, you get your comic book every month usually, and then they tell like a complete, they have like a complete arc, and then that gets released as a trade, which is just a collection of those comics. That's very similar to how old serials used to be. And for, for whatever reason, comic books still sort of follow that that business model. Radio shows for a long time were serialized. The serialized radio show is pretty much dead. Yeah, there's a mild resurgence in the age of podcasting. Right. I remember really enjoying We're Alive, zombie podcast, with, you know, different voice actors for everything, music, sound effects, like the old radio shows used to be. And it was really enjoyable. And I was kind of blown away by the fact that some people are actually still, you know, keeping that medium alive in, in the modern day. Yeah. And then the the last one is television. Mm-hmm. Television is like the home of the serial. Right, right. You want serial fiction that has sort of made that transition. It's the, you know, British series do like 10 episodes per season. And then the American series do like 26 or sometimes even 52. Um, less common for like... We'll get into the distinction of uh, like a proper serial and a sort of iterative story within a setting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, television is is the home of serial fiction now. And then, I mean, obviously, we both write serial fiction on the internet. Right. So. Were you originally interested in writing serial fiction when you were young, or was it like the idea was to write novels and then serial fiction just kind of happened for you? I'd always liked short stories, mm-hmm. but not writing them. I, I had wanted in... High school, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a novelist, which is not a good career path. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so I became a software engineer instead. <laughs> but yeah, I had wanted to write novels because that was the form I was most familiar with. Actually, I don't think, I don't think I knew what a serial was until, until like well into college. Because you, you just, I was talking about a lot of the the greats, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, these books that you go to as like classics that you read and you never hear that they were serials. Right, right. You never hear that that was how they were published because that's sort of foreign to us that you would that you would read a chapter and then you would like have to wait a week. Yeah, yeah. Um so yeah, I, I had never I had never planned on doing anything serially. I think I think I decided to because because I wanted that sort of accountability cuz I I have a Big problem with like finishing stories, yep. right? But if you put out a chapter, then you know people it, maybe they'll read it, maybe they won't. But there's sort of this: you're saying, okay, I am like firmly on this path that um, that I'm, I'm going to like reach the conclusion. I think the first thing I published serially was Branches on the Tree of Time, which I had written in its entirety before I started publishing it chapter by chapter. But oh, okay, yeah. For the experience of of the feedback is is an interesting thing, but also just the accountability is I think the main thing for me too. Yeah, I was writing in middle school fan fiction for my friends and stuff, and like I enjoyed doing that. But like I always wanted to be an, a novelist because I, I read Stephen King and stuff, and like books as as epic long stories. And the first time I heard about the serials, serial fiction was because in some of his author's notes, uh, Stephen King would talk about the old old style of publishing serially. And he actually did an experiment where he he wrote the Green Mile as a serial, actually, uh, as a modern day serial. Like he wrote it in six parts. Each book was like very small, you know, relative to his other other novels. Uh, they were they were quite thin, and they 
they each, you know, sold for maybe two or three dollars each or something like that. And, you know, it was successful, probably in large part because it was Stephen King. Uh, he's a good writer. Right. He's got a big name recognition. I don't think it would work for just any author these days to try to do that again. Yeah, because, I mean, with with the publishing industry the way it is, you would go to an agent Mm-hmm. Or you'd find find yourself an agent person, be like, hey, I want to release this. And then they'd, you know, if they really believed in you, they would go to the publishers and the publishers would be like, uh, okay, we have to take this to our distributors yeah. or like in all these different forms. How are we going to do this? Right. And, and stocking is a nightmare. And, yeah. Yeah. Not great for brick and mortar stores in the more modern age of books. But in the age of the internet, again, Stephen King tried again to do a serial online and it actually, I believe it floundered. It like, he did a thing where, you know, you would pay a dollar per chapter. And he basically said he'll keep going as long as he reaches a certain amount. And I think at some point he basically just stopped writing because it didn't work out. And maybe it was because it was still too early in the internet's, you know, reader base to, to be into serial stories or not. But it was interesting seeing that because I feel like it was someone who made his empire off of the complete books trying what essentially the the new age of writing on the internet is and not finding the results as gratifying as obviously lesser authors by lesser i mean success wise not skill wise right would probably be more than happy of like if you made five thousand dollars per per chapter for a story that you were writing i would be happy with that i'm sure you'd be happy with that yeah but if stephen king was only making that much then an overall book where he would that he, that he might normally write for you know, tens of thousands of dollars would probably be much less. Five thousand is probably too high, actually, when I, when the initial chapter thing. But yeah, you get the point. Yeah, we'll take like a half step towards uh, talking about pros and cons. Mm-hmm. I feel like serial fiction is still sort of a niche thing. Like, yes, it is. I think the dominant form of fiction writing on the internet. But people who read on the internet, I think, are like the majority of people who read. Fiction, read it either in book form or ebook form, rather than reading serials. And I, I, I do think that fiction in general has sort of there's been a push to go to fiction that is serial, but it's in books, right? Mm-hmm. It's you know ten book series or whatever because of a lot of the pros of serial fiction. Um, and I think the biggest one from like a business standpoint is you can build an audience. Yep, you sort of can live in. You know, if, if we compare a, like, 80,000 words is about what publishers recommend for, like, a first-time novel. So 80,000 words is, like, 16 chapters of 5,000 words each. And if you release one 5,000-word chapter every week, which is, uh, that's a little fast for most people, mm-hmm. I think, sort of depending on what what they're writing or whatever. But uh, 16 weeks is four months, and you get to live in the reader's head for those four months, as opposed to if you just release an 80,000 word um, novel, there's a sort of higher barrier to entry there because mm-hmm. you're saying, Hey, read this 80,000 words rather than just read this 5,000 words. And then if you like those 5,000 words, there might be more an 80,000 word novel that, I mean, you can finish that in a sitting 80,000 words is how long metropolitan man is. Mm-hmm. It's 13 chapters, but released over the course of four months, you you sort of occupy the mind of the reader and you keep bringing them back to that. And you get a lot more word of mouth that way. Yeah, I was just going to say the connections formed there with growing an audience is, is more 
constant, opposed to the big bursts every few years when you when you release a new book and you know when you've got the ongoing story that people especially now that there's the communities that form around it and they talk about it and that kind of thing it it keeps the attention yeah and i mean you see that with i mean if we're talking about like modern success stories of serial fiction i think worm has to be near the top mm-hmm. or at the top yeah wild bow in general is like extremely prolific and obviously an amazing writer and he put he put the work in you know multiple chapters per per week sometimes i believe which is not at all common yeah and i think even even over years i mean if you have your paperback novel that you release or it comes in hardback or whatever and it gets like advertised and stuff i i still think that you're at most the reader reads it over the course of an, like a day or two and then and then they forget about it within like a week, or, or even if it stays with them, they right. don't. They don't have a reason. Yeah, they don't have a reason to think about it again and again. I remember um, Game of Thrones, the series, the Song of Ice and Fire series. I was reading in high school, and I remember how difficult it was, like getting other people to read even the first one. But you know, my close friends, you know, same kind of taste in books, and they'd try it, and they'd be like, "Oh, this is really good." But some of them also wouldn't, and it was interesting seeing more and more people know about the series as it got more and more popular, and then obviously it hit a tipping point where HBO picked it up and, and it kind of exploded everywhere. But I feel like that kind of... Like, really great stories can languish in a very specific niche audience for a long time if they don't have the kind of constant attention that uh, serial stories can get, which is, again, like, you know, every few years you release one book versus every couple weeks or every month releasing a new chapter is a huge difference in, in, in audience participation. Yeah. And when we're talking about pros, audience participation, I think, is the other big reason. It's not just for, like, business or marketing stuff. I mean, I'm not necessarily talking when, when I say, like, audience, you know, you get you get to live in the, the reader's head. That's not just a, like, marketing business thing. That's right, sort right. of a, Getting what feedback. you want to do as an author. Mm-hmm. But there are benefits that come with that, which is that you get people talking about the story and you can sort of flow with some of their ideas. Branches on the Tree of Time was, I I think, the first thing I released serially, but it originally had a different ending, and I changed the ending based on audience feedback, and I I think it made a much stronger work. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's been at least two times now that I've done major rewrites to chapters based on great feedback from my readers. In the case of chapter six, I basically rewrote like the second half of it from scratch. Yeah. That's the sort of thing that you can you can get instant feedback as as you're writing. Right? You release you release a chapter and you get feedback and then you can make future chapters better. And then we have to talk about cons, and part of that is that you can't make past chapters better, or there's not that much of a point to it. Right, you can, it's just, it doesn't It doesn't quite work as well. You, you know, you've got, like, the space of time between you, when you release a chapter and maybe when you release the next chapter to edit the previous one. Yeah. And then it's more or less canonized, even if you go back and change it. Right, and you confuse people, and, you know, depending on what you change, you don't want to, like, give anything away by by the edits that you're making. Right. It's sort of, everything gets sort of stuck into place. And then, you know, if you need to make a change, if there's like some bit of foreshadowing that you need to have, you can't put that in retroactively, which you can do if you're, if you have your like 80,000 word novel, all 
written out. You can go retroactively insert foreshadowing, or you can remove, you know, plot threads that didn't end up going anywhere. Right. This is considered a con because it, it makes the story harder to write coherently well. Not being able to write the whole thing out, look at it as a whole, and then rearrange things as might fit best is a high wire act. You are simultaneously planning out, but also ad-libbing. Yeah. And just kind of hoping that what you have in mind now is still going to work when you get to a later part. And, you know, you, you can change things every so often if it's a big enough thing. And you, you know, you communicate with your readers and let them know, like, hey, I changed this thing back in chapter seven because so-and-so was something. But, yeah, it, it, you really are kind of trying to get it right the first time around, which is enormously difficult for me, anyway, compared to when I was writing novels and able to go back and edit things as needed constantly. Yeah. And so you can split the difference here, too, which is that you can write out your no- your entire, like, novel ahead of time mm-hmm. and then just release the chapters and then you don't need to worry about retroactively inserting foreshadowing because you've already done that when the first chapter comes. That is done by some people. In the olden days, that was occasionally how, how people wrote their novels. I think on Uncle Tom's Cabin was written as a whole and then just released piece by piece. That, that was how you released novels. I think that is a better... I mean, you're, you're missing out on audience participation, mm-hmm. uh, but you're still getting all the audience-building parts of it. It's just that that is, like, if you have a complete novel, you're probably going to have more financial success and probably have more readers if you are able to shop it out to a publisher. Yeah, publishing it traditionally is still considered the better route to take if you can take that route with the story that you're writing. Yeah. Someone uh, asked a question on our writing recently. Can I write stories one chapter at a time online? Is this a thing that people might be interested in reading? You know, is this a thing that people do? And a number of people, including Wildbow, uh, showed up, basically said, like, yes, this is a thing that you can do, and obviously you can be successful at it, but, you know, it's not necessarily for everyone, and, and it really depends on the reader. And one of the things I said in that thread was, even if you are starting that way, you don't have to end that way. You can you can start putting chapters up and then decide, you know, this is something that I'm going to get traditionally published when it's done, or even... Once, if you realize like halfway through that doing it online isn't really working for you, you, there's no reason to commit to one way or the other eternally. Yeah, two examples here. Um, John Dies at the End by David Wong was written serially, published online, and then got made into a. It, it got published on one of the like smaller indie presses, mm-hmm. and then it got um, published a second time with one of the larger presses and distributed like nationwide and stuff. And then they made a movie out of it. And then Andy Weir wrote The Martian serially, published on his website. And then he got it got picked up a lot of steam, a lot of audience participation. And then he got contacted by an agent and it got published as a book and then made into a movie. So that's definitely a way that you can go. I wouldn't count on doing that, even if you're a fantastic, consistent writer. But it is one of the dream paths of serial fiction. Right, and we would be remiss not to mention Fifty Shades of Grey, just in terms of the ability of people to build an audience online and then eventually make make it work for them commercially. Right. I always forget about Fifty Shades of Grey, <laughs> very mercifully. Yeah, it's... I mean, my opinion... I'm not a you know an expert in this field, but my opinion is that was more of a marketing thing, just from some of the stuff that I read. More than anything, it was 
her ability very, you know, props to her for doing it, but her ability to to leverage the community that she was in into a, a book deal. Yeah. But, you know, within our own community, we've, we've got the two-year emperor started publishing chapter by chapter and then eventually was also sold online digitally as, as completed work. And I think it's still available online for free too. Yep, it is right now. So again, you can you can write a story serially and still have your dream to get it published as yeah. a whole work. And then if you do get it published as a whole work, a lot of people aren't going to know that it was originally a serial. Right, like The Martian. That's one of the biggest books to come out in the last few years. Mm-hmm. The last con that we need to talk about is scheduling. And that sort of naturally leads us into what you want to do when you're planning a serial. Mm-hmm. Like you've decided that you that that's what you're going to do is you're going to release a chapter every however often and you're going to be a serial author. So scheduling I think is one of the big one of the big drawbacks depending on how you do it. So there are, I think three things that you that you want to keep in mind when you're going to write a serial. The first is scheduling, how often your posts are going to be. The second is size, um, which is how large the work as a whole is going to be, are you going to be at, you know, like 80,000 words is a novel. That's That would be considered very short for a serial, depending on how you do it. A lot of the more popular, I mean, like, Worm is 1.6 million words or right. something like that. It's something ridiculous. But, like, Harry Potter and Methods of Rationality, um, that was serial it's, uh, as long as um, the first, like, five or six Harry Potter books. Serials tend to be quite long as far as size goes. And then chapters are another part of size that you want to consider, like how long your chapters are going to be. Right. Which we'll talk a little bit about that. That's much more theory than hard analytics. And then the final thing that you want to think about is a structure. So which of those do you want to schedule size and structure? Which do you want to take first? So schedule, I think is an important one first, because for me anyway, the fact that I was able to, use the serial format of I'm expected to publish once a month come rain or shine no matter what happens you know whatever's going on in my personal life work stuff doesn't matter once a month obviously is very long most will do either weekly or bi-weekly or something keep forgetting is bi-weekly every two weeks or twice a week it's both <laughs> that's annoying okay it well <laughs> there needs to be better words for it. Yeah. so you know i started from the very beginning doing once per month actually i think my first two chapters came out within a couple weeks of each other but past that i knew i was going to be doing once a month because i've got all these other responsibilities and i didn't want to over promise and then change it later and i didn't and I actually and i honestly just didn't know at the beginning how long each chapter would take my it's like you know better to start long and then cut cut down and say, oh, I can actually get one out every three weeks if needed or something like that than it is to go the other way. That was my, my thinking back then. But the ability to know that I have a set time that I have to publish by really helps me get work done. Yeah, I would agree with that. But my problem is that if I blow a deadline, it's like I'm it's like I'm singing a song and I hit a wrong note. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard for me to then just continue on with the song that I was singing rather than like, I don't know. I just get, I get thrown off. I I have a bad history with, with scheduling metropolitan man was uh, once a week chapters of between like 5,000 and 10,000. It's usually what I target because that's about what I can write in a week and edit to a publishable standard. But metropolitan man, I had delays toward the end shadows of the limelight. I had delays in the middle and then again at the end and then glim warden. I, 
around chapter 13 or something right now. And I'm, I'm taking a break just cause I'm getting that same feeling of being sort of off my rhythm. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that concept of rhythm is to me the drawback. Cause yeah, I, I do like having a, a firm deadline there and being like, okay, I'm going to get this chapter done mm-hmm. in, in a week. And I'm like in that head space and I sort of stay there. Cause if you take, if you take a break from writing, you start to forget things mm-hmm. and you start to sort of forget your plan. Even if it's like written out, you come back and it looks like your, your planning looks like chicken scratch or there are <laughs> things that you don't like and you want to change. But then getting off the rhythm for me always is really unpleasant and stressful. That's sort of the downside to, to scheduling. Yeah. And also because scheduling is, is something that's kind of self-imposed, it's you know, writer's block is still a thing. Just because you set a, a schedule doesn't mean you're not you're not going to occasionally have rough patches like you're describing. And that's really the the danger of of serial writing opposed to publishing. I mean, I didn't start reading HPR more until it was I think at least two thirds of the way through. It was it was well past Azkaban, but I know that there were long periods of time when there were no new chapters up. Right. Yeah, very very long hiatus. Right. Like something like a year. Part of that is writer's block. We will probably have a full episode on yeah, yeah. Like the psychology of writing, but there's a distinction between writer's block, which is where you are just staring at a blank page and you don't know what comes next. Mm-hmm. And then there's sort of an enthusiasm gap, yeah. uh, which I suffer from much more often, is that I I start a story and I can write 20,000 words in a day if I'm like really on. on. And, and then I'll, I'll make the time for it, too, if that's, you know, what is occupying my entire brain power. Right. But then you hit that enthusiasm gap and you slow down. For scheduling, I tried to do like, okay, how many words do I write per week? And for me, that's, it's about 7,000 words a week. Um, it's about a thousand words every day because I try to write every day. But then the problem comes when I'm just like sitting there at a chapter and I want to be writing something else. Yeah. You could write a thousand words easily for something else, but not for this. Yeah. Yeah, And there's a third kind of, maybe writer's block isn't the right phrase for it, but there's a third kind of similar circumstance where you can write it out, and you do write it out, and then, again, because because of the nature of serial fiction, like, you, you're, you're not quite getting it what you think you need it to be. And there's a kind of, you know, you get into a snarl where you suddenly rethink something in the story, and you're not quite sure what to do with it. I have a friend who, she's writing, you know, a story, and... She suddenly realized, like, three-fourths of the way through her, her novel that the religion in her in her story and the religion and the second religion in her story, like, they, they're too similar and something happens that doesn't make sense and she's got to change them. And she's like, well, fuck, I've got to go all the way back to the beginning and go through the whole thing. And, you know, like, that, like, she could have kept writing past that point. It's not that she was stuck, but the sudden problem that had arisen in her in her conception of the story required her to do a lot more work backwards than forward or planning even it doesn't necessarily have to be about editing the past it can just be about like plotting a new path forward and that can get in the way of getting a chapter out every week or every other week or whatever yeah if you're doing a regular schedule i think that's a sort of a recipe for bad decisions as far as storytelling goes yep you i think cease wild bows talked about some of the problems that worm has are the, just the result of like things come up in your life you have to go to like a wedding for a weekend and then you're you're sort of crunched for time and you're just you're just writing to get, get something it on the out page. there yeah 
Yeah. So I don't know. I think as far as readership goes, you want a regular schedule, you know, whether you're going to go once a month or once a week or Machine Man by Max Berry was written one like very short 500 word chapter every day. Oh, wow. But I mean, that's common for a lot of the very popular, very long serials that you find on like base battles mm-hmm. or sufficient velocity with this ring is one of them that it yeah, updates yeah. every day. I haven't I haven't uh, gotten around to reading that one yet, but I heard it was a good one. I think it suffers from some of the problems that you get if you are putting out a chapter like 500 words every day. I think that you sort of you can tend to get into some churn where you're writing things that aren't mm-hmm. necessarily relevant to your plot. You're just getting the words on the page. I think that once you start a schedule, you have a sort of commitment to your readership. And then audience communication is something we'll probably have a an episode on mm-hmm. later. But you, you want to make sure that you are communicating if you're going to have breaks or something like that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with like taking a break. You just need to. Right, right. I'm terrible about that. But do, do as I say, not as I do. The Internet does allow for that now, opposed to the old serials. It did happen back in the day. Mm-hmm. It's like you just say, hey, I can't make this thing, and then the publisher gets mad at you. But right, right. What- the readers, on the other hand, were left like, what happened? What's going on? Yeah. Nowadays, you can check the blog or whatever it is and see, like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, and, and this is this is one of the death sentences for a television show yeah. is you change the schedule, and then people don't know that it's you know on Thursdays instead of Fridays now. It's at a different time, and then – viewership goes down and then the show gets canceled. Mm-hmm. I think it's very similar on for serial fiction, except that you have like, you know, it depends on how many people you have who are reading by like RSS where they'll just get the chapters as they right. come. How many people will like check your website manually or I'm check still, your, yeah, I'm, I'm still surprised by how, but I, I kind of had this conception like 20, 25 chapters into my story that most people who were reading it were either, Checking on our rational or subscribed on on fan fiction, but then I found out there's still some people who had never made an account on fan fiction, weren't on our rational, and they just kept checking every so often to see if the story would update. And that was like that kind of blew my mind because to me it just seemed you know like obviously if you're following a story you'd want to see if updates are coming, but you know knowing that that some people were still doing that kind of was an important factor in in making me feel like okay well consistency in the story is now like even more important because there were some people who'd started reading the story near the beginning of a month and they would get up to how far the story is and then like two three two weeks would go by three weeks would go by obviously no new new chapter and they're like oh the story i guess the story is dead and then like a new chapter would would come out and they'd miss it because they would just stop checking it and and then apparently like months later they come back and like oh the story is still alive that's great so like you said that's the danger of of changing things up if you don't have good communication with your audience which isn't always in your control yeah so if you are if you're trying to decide on a schedule for your for your like web serial i'd measure your output first like just write as though you were as though you were writing a serial and then just see how many words you're getting and and do a trial run first right like write the you know if you need to write the first few chapters as if you were publishing them online each. Yeah. Then it's, it's good to have a buffer of yeah. finished chapters. I always try to do that and it never, <laughs> it never works. <laughs> I'm terrible about it. I'm like, Oh, I can, I have like four weeks ahead. You know, it's not that I like slack off. I just like monkey with them. Mm. Like have waiting for them to be published. Yeah. Having stories, having chapters that you can edit is, is the danger for me for, for writing. Even doing a serial story, I still 
go back and edit probably way more than I should, but yeah. So we've talked about the pros and cons. We've talked about scheduling, and that leaves size as the last major issue to talk about for serial fiction, and we're going to get to that next time. So thanks for listening, everyone, and stay tuned after the music for Book Recommendation. Audible is offering a free 30-day trial and free book credit for anyone who would like to support the show. Uh, if you want to redeem this offer, go to www.audibletrial.com rational. The book that I'm going to be recommending this week is Accelerando by Charles Strauss, which is originally a work of serial fiction published between 2001 and 2004 in Asimov Science Fiction at a rate of about three chapters per year. Strauss is following the very... Uh, episodic format of serial fiction where each chapter is basically a short story. Um, The original one was written before the full structure of Accelerando had been firmed up in his head and it was just meant to stand completely alone and not be part of this longer series. Each chapter is set 10 years after the one before which necessarily gives them some distance between each other and it follows this sort of trajectory into the future, this accelerating change. And in that way, I think, exposes the concept of the singularity without really talking about that accelerating change too much. It's very focused on showing that change that occurs rather than telling the reader about it. And I think it, it's it's one of a lot of awards, and it's one of my favorite books, simply because it's very dense with ideas and thoughts and things like that. It does show its age a little bit because it was written in 15 years ago when the sort of conventional wisdom on the singularity hadn't been firmed up all that much, but it's a very well-written book. You can get the uh, EPUB or Mobi for free if you'd like on Charles Strauss's website, but to get the Audible book, go to www.audibletrial.com rational, and you can get a free 30-day trial of that and download Accelerando today and help support the show.